0: You just got your asses whipped by a bunch of goddamn nerds. Hey, sports fans, welcome to Sports Nerds. Here are your hosts, Dr. Samuel J. and Dr. Brian Schrader. Today's episode is a special one. We have an hour-long conversation with the great Tim Dwight, University of Iowa football uh, alumni, uh, NFL alumni. He's on today to talk about the work that he's doing with Sage Rosenfels, with Sucup Manufacturing, and some of the work that he's been doing in renewable energy. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Tim is a very, very wise and knowledgeable professional who is clear about his passion for uh, renewable energy, and just for the work that uh, that he's doing with some of the folks down in Haiti. So enjoy it. We'd love to hear from you. If you like it, try to share it with your friends. Just tell them to go find Sports Nerds wherever they get their podcasts. And as always, you can find us on the social medias. Facebook, fb.me slash sportsnerds, Instagram, sports.nerds, and Twitter, underscore sports nerds. Hope you enjoy it. Go Hawks. Hey, how much time do you have? Uh, I've got I don't know um maybe some lawn work
1: today I'm up at my folks' place up in the lake so I've got to clean up a bunch of things before I leave today so I got I got maybe an hour forty five minutes an hour
0: <laughs> okay well that's how about that this work? yeah I got to go teach a class let's do thirty minutes I'll try to keep oh, it whatever thirty, 30 minutes Perfect. yeah. Okay. Um, thirty, 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 thirty. Hey, so just to begin, uh, I'm going to be completely frank with you. We are not journalism professors. Uh, it's just me today. My buddy Brian is. He's flying back to Michigan. He's a professor actually at Michigan. Uh, but um, yeah, yeah, I know. So we have. I have no journalistic training. Too bad. So so the questioning that you get today <laughs> is probably not going to have. It's not going to be even close to what you've experienced throughout your career. So it's going to be more of a conversation if you're okay with that.
1: Would you be surprised? <laughs> you know, but yeah, But no problem
0: okay so first off let's get to the kind of uh the reason why uh the sukup folks asked asked you to be on the show tell us a little bit about kind of what's going on with the game day bill but also the the philanthropic work that you and sage Rosenfelds are doing with sukup sure yeah uh
1: sukup what a what a great iowa company um you know almost 500-some employees right out of Sheffield, Iowa, and are supplying uh, great you know, solutions for our farmers you know, across the country. Um, but, yeah, I was uh, way back in, well, it was almost like about a year ago, uh, I was contacted by a small little church group out of Charles City, Iowa, to go down to Haiti to supply an orphanage uh, some solar power. And since I do solar kind of on my daily basis, my daily nowadays, um, I'd be absolutely excited to do that. So on our trip down there, um, they showed me these, these four. Actually, there were 14 of them, but only seven showed up. The seven were stolen. Uh, seven seven Sukup homes that uh, that they're using for classrooms down there at this orphanage. So I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Like, you know, I went Church groove, Tim White. Uh, solar power, and then now we've got this other relationship with these uh, this uh, manufacturer out of Iowa, making these great you know sustainable, basically indestructible uh, homes for folks down in Haiti to help, to you know, help that population, help that uh, community down there. So, um, the Imagine Missions is the is the orphanage group that is down there, and they have they have plans to do an expansion. So on our way back. Iowa we decided that we want to be a big part of that and you know knowing the environment down there the heat the hurricanes the earthquakes we knew that we needed to supply and design uh, this expansion around the Sucup safety home because that home can withstand 200 miles an hour you know it rarely breaks down you can put up in two hours I mean it's perfect for this type of application so a couple of months after that, when we got back, you know, we went down in January. We put in solar panels, solar systems for a couple of different sites. Came back, had a meeting, I think in you know, maybe late February, early March, with at their uh, headquarters there in Sheffield, and said, hey, love to, uh, love to purchase and be, you know, kind of be a part of what you guys are doing here with the safety home. Um, you know, we'd like to you know, show you our project and see if, you know, we can't, collaborate together and getting this thing you know over the finish line which is hopefully next you know next May next June in 2019 um, and they said great it'd be awesome but we also would like you to be involved in something we're working on and we're down in Haiti a because I think they have over 200 plus homes down in Haiti that they supplied down there um, and we want to do a safety home build at a football game since you know the majority of i don't know if it's the majority but quite a few of their engineers i think maybe the majority of the engineers i don't know about the majority of their employees but are iowa state fans and i was like this is perfect
0: that's great yeah
1: iowa iowa state i mean working together hawkeyes and cyclones so i was like you know i know a good friend of mine named sage rosenfeld and they're like yeah we know sage quarterback iowa state we're familiar with him and we kind of know him we met him a couple weeks ago um just about this idea, and i was like well that's awesome because him and i know know each other since about 2003 and we became good friends over these last you know 15 years and i would be honored to be part of it so you know going into this since it was you know 2018 the game you know the rival game is at kennick this year i was like that's even more perfect because that's my home <laughs> that's my home you know and and you know, unfortunately, the Iowa State folks got to come over and do some building in, in Kennick, But you know, I think they're going to overlook that. You know, they're overlooking that considering you know what the the impacts that we're going to do with this safety home across the world, as we see you know climate change becoming more of an issue and and societies and people having to you know, deal with those devastations of of those storms and and problems that they're having. So that is kind of how the you know the game build became you know, became was that, uh, you know, we were at um, we were in Sheffield talking with Sucup and they were like, hey, we want to do this. And I was like, well, I want to do this, and let's bring this together. And it's really started pushing the safety home, um, you know, across the country as well as across the world and show people, you know, what this product can do. So that's – and I was like – I was game for it. I mean, I'm pretty excited about it. We've got a lot of other folks that are um, uh, going to be participating in that. You know, there's a couple of legislators in there. Uh, Jeff Settles is going to be participating, and I think Joy Woody, the head track and field coach, which isn't on the list yet, but he just texted me yesterday. He's going to be participating, and so we're going to have you know Cyclones and Hawkeyes building this two cup home right there in the south side of Kennec.
0: Yeah, Rachel, 8,
1: which is going to be pretty awesome.
0: Rachel sent me the list, and she wanted me to, to include it. So Dallas Clark will be there. You mentioned Jess, uh, Nas, yep. Metro, Long, uh, Jack. Whit- is it Whitfer? Jack Whitfer, see these are clones that I don't yep. necessarily remember. Jeff Horner, um, Greg Bruner, Adam Haluska, Lane Danielson. There were a couple that may or may not be there, but it sounds like I mean alumni from both schools really getting engaged uh, with that. That's got to be a great feeling.
1: Absolutely, you know we're all Iowans. You know we all care about uh, folks and people, and want to see if we can't. You know since things are pretty good in Iowa, well I wouldn't you know, say really good right now since our corn industry kind of our farming industry's taking a beating, but um, you know, we, we, we try to look out for each other and, and we, we're reaching out to the world and, you know, getting, getting prominent folks like the names you just said around an event like this was super important. And it also shows, you know, what, how these people care and what, and what they're trying to do and how they want to help support in any way they can to make the world a better place. And, um, yeah, we're pretty excited. I mean, started off a stage and I, and then a couple other folks jumped on and it was Jack. You know, then it was Jeff and Bruner and these guys. So um, it was it's a good group, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm hoping some of these folks know how to use a, you know, a wrench or anything. I mean, it's not all that difficult to put these homes together. It's basically nuts and bolts and sliding pieces together that, you know, you have instructions for. So it should go pretty quick, and it should be a lot of fun, and we're hoping a lot of people show up on September 8th. I think we're going to probably get started maybe, you know, 10 in the morning, game that starts at 4 o'clock, so we should have everything built probably by 1, I would think, considering, you know, it's obviously a learning curve when you're first putting something together the first time, um, yeah, it's going to be pretty fun, it's going to be exciting, and I'm just wondering who's going to, you know, I'm wondering who's going to bring the beer.
0: <laughs> there's none of that around Kinnick, <laughs> after, I mean, it'd be really hard to find around there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so it's always nice to do some hard work and sit down with friends and have a beer and or a drink or, you know, water or something like that and enjoy each other and, and look back and see what you did. I mean, we're going to we're gonna show up at Kinnick Stadium, you know, around 8, 9 o'clock in the morning, and a couple hours later, we're going to have a home built.
0: If you're starting through. at 8 or 9, that means people have been drinking for 3 or 4 hours. So just be prepared for that.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I'm totally prepared, and I, and I think most of the Iowa staters coming in are kind of prepared for that. Um but, yeah, you know, that's my hometown, Iowa City. So been around that, that environment a long time, played in front of that environment. And so I think the expectations are definitely there for folks. And we're going to have a great time building this thing and showing people, you know, this technology and showing folks what we're doing in, in the world and how we're trying to, to help people, you know, rise up and build their country.
0: How often... Countries. I guess how many times have you been down to Haiti? And then when you get there, are you actively involved in the building and meeting the uh, everybody around the kind of community and stuff like that?
1: Oh, absolutely! Um, you know, I'm a pretty hands-on guy, so you know, when we first went down there, you know, none of the search group knew anything about solar power, so I was like, "Hey, you're not going to be able to build it," so I'm, I'm taking a run down there to see what's going on because obviously, you've known about the earthquake and hurricane that hit last year, um, and then you know, just just over the years of, you know, you hear news pieces about how, how bad Haiti is and how um, just a wreck their economy is, the government's um, not not helping at all. Um, you know, I jumped down there. We went down the first trip in January um, of this year. We were down there for about seven days. Went with an amazing group, got a lot of stuff done. I mean, we built, we put roofs on a church. The we built three solar projects. We built gardens. We built uh, all these classrooms. We painted all these buildings. I mean, it's amazing the amount of things that we did in the, in the, in the seven days that we were there. I mean, it was a pretty exciting to be part of a group like that. And then I went back down a couple weeks later because I had a, a, a missing solar piece that we needed to kind of interconnect the system to the grid on a monitoring level as well as, you know, communications level. So. I went back down there for a couple of days. It was kind of a quick trip, and then I just got back uh, two weeks ago from another trip from a friend of mine that played at Oregon State. He's Haitian, and his grandmother lives down there. He's got a small school that uh, he supports down there, about 60 kids. So we went down there with a bunch of supplies as well as we, uh, we powered his grandmother's house with solar and, and batteries. I mean, it's 80, this woman's 84 years old. She's never had consistent power her whole life. And, you know, when you, when, you, when you think about that, you know, and then you actually go down and experience it where there are a couple of days down there where the, the electrical grid wasn't up for only 30 minutes out of the day, and that was at 2.30 in the morning for wow. so 3 o'clock at night. And so, you know, who's operating businesses at those times, let alone who knows when the energy's going to come on. So very challenging uh, very challenging times down there for, uh, for that country. Um, but they've got a lot of good things to look up to. I mean, solar power is becoming way cheaper um, and that's one thing we're going to try to build the economy around as well. You know, energy is a huge thing for any, any you know, any country, any industrialized country um, or any country that actually needs power. So, yeah, I've been down a couple of times. I'm going to go back down there maybe next month and then in December and then the following spring, next spring, to start building these safety homes on this uh, transitional school that we're doing at the orphanage. You know, in Haiti, when you're 18 years old, Leave, and you're in an orphanage. Uh, you have to leave the orphanage by law, so you're basically thrown out into the street. And when you've been in the street in Haiti, there's nothing, there's nothing really, you know, to really hold on to. I mean, those people every day are fighting for trying to power themselves and, and and the basic needs that we, you know, we have every day. I mean, I get up this morning and walk about ten feet to my sink.
0: been involved in renewable energies now for what almost a decade uh if not more what can you tell tell me what compelled you to to i suppose get not just interested in the renewable clean energy uh industry uh, that kind of space but also just the philanthropic work was there a moment uh in in your life that compelled you to do that or was it just you knew you always wanted to be a part of of a positive force
1: uh, you know, I've had a pretty good life, you know, Sam. I mean, I've, I've had incredible experiences through athletics. I've had a, a great community to grow up in an Iowa city, always supported by many, many people. And, you know, when you have the chance to pass that on, um, you should do it. And that's kind of what I was growing up around, is always trying to help the less fortunate. I'm trying to be a team player all the time, trying to get everybody involved, trying to be positive. And so when football got done, and, you know, I was doing a lot of stuff, and I'm not... is an an extent, but, um, you know, when football got done, I was like, hey, I want to do the solar stuff, but I also have a lot more time for myself now to go out in the world and see where I can make more impact, and, uh, you know, solar is one thing that can can help with that because everybody needs energy, sun shines everywhere, and it's pretty simple to install and get in, so, you know, those are some conduits that I've really focused on in my life now that can make big impacts and big differences in people's lives, you know, giving them light you know, every day, um, saving saving their money, cleaning their environment, and it's making their lives a better place. You know, it's one thing they kind of go down there and give people food and a couple of things here and there and, and hug them and be supportive and stuff, but it's another thing when, you know, my buddy's 84-year-old grandmother can just go up to a light switch and turn it on, and she's got light 24 hours a day now, and she can do the things that she wants to do. And then that, you know, hopefully starts to resonate and evolve and develop the rest of those types of situations where you're better in people's lives. And I think it's important, you know, when, when people have gotten, you know, a great platform or have, have, have great experiences on success is to go back and, and try to help other people have success. You, know, you know, you, you look at, you know, we were, you know, we're specifically kind of talking about Haiti, but you know, Haiti's not very far from Jamaica. And the last time I knew Jamaica had the fastest man ever in the world, yeah, I heard so that. So I'm thinking, well, why can't there be a Haitian down there somewhere? We can create a track. We can create an opportunity. We can create some positives on so showing what what they can do with just some running shoes. Um, changes things, you know. Gives them hope. Gives them motivation. Gives them something to strive for. Gives them positive reinforcement. I mean, it, I mean, it, it's hard when you. You, you got to go down there to really experience it. I mean, when you got people living off under $2 a day, which is under $800 a year, it's, it's pretty, um, pretty, you know, pretty, it sets your back on the appreciation of what you've had your whole life. And then it also motivates you to, uh, to make a difference in most people's lives. And they appreciate it, you know, I mean, they really do. And it's great to see their smiles. It's great to see their happiness. And um, there's going to be more of that as we as we keep moving you know, with the direction we've taken. So, um, you know, I just, you know, being from Iowa City and having the experience that I had in my life, and, um, and it always feel, it makes you feel good to give back. It makes you feel good when you can help somebody else out and make their lives better. And especially in a situation like that in Haiti, I mean, it's a it's 100 times
0: full. You're obviously doing a lot of things that are much, much larger than sports, but you brought something up there that uh, I wanted to, to briefly return to because, you know, on this show, Brian and I, we like to talk about not, you know, the the mainstream sports stuff or the, you know, the stream of consciousness uh, conversation about sports, but really the larger social, cultural impact of sport and how they kind of frame our understanding of who we are as people. But what you had pointed out is just the positive value that can be taken from sport especially in those countries like Haiti, not necessarily Jamaica, because obviously a different, way, way different point in their progress than than Jamaica. But even, you know, we were watching the World Cup and you see so many of those countries that um, that really rally around sport. It gives people an identity. It gives somebody something to, to root for. And I think you and I come from a place in this country where that is so much a part of who we are as kids, especially as Iowa Hawkeye fans that uh, maybe maybe this resonates more with us than it does uh, other folks around the world. I'm not sure what you've kind of experienced uh, with with how folks discuss that kind of thing, and, and you and Sage in particular, being former athletes, professional athletes, whether they're viewing you as somebody's invested in this emotionally or is that do you ever get any criticism about it or skepticism, cynicism maybe? Um, and you, you can know, just say I no. Do, I really why. don't listen to it.
1: Okay, that's great. <laughs> But, uh, no, not really. I mean, it's, you know, the things that we're doing are, are pretty, uh, you know, pretty monumental, and it's not because I'm trying to, like, say it. It's just like you, when you go down there and you do that, you know what you're doing. You know what you're changing. You can see the difference. And you know once you set that difference in a kid's life, I mean, it's going to just keep going that way, right? So, um, no, not, not a lot. I mean, I, I get a lot of people that are shocked and amazed on the conditions down there and the stories i have to tell about the people and you know what's happened to them what's happening to them and it kind of motivates them too i mean on this trip the the latest trip we just went on i was down there with um three friends of mine and then they had uh, a couple uh relationships of theirs a couple girlfriends that one was a teacher another one's a real estate agent and they're all from portland you know, a couple of them played at Oregon State. Well, actually, all three guys played Oregon State. One's a really older buddy than mine, and the other two are kind of younger guys I've just met over the last couple of years. They played in the early 2000s, and they had some friends of theirs. And, you know, on the way back, on, on the Friday morning that we were turning on the lights in Grandma's house and being able to pack our clothes and get ready to, to fly out at 8 o'clock in the morning, um, she's like, T.D., when are we coming back? <laughs> when are we coming back to do more T.D.? I was like, we're coming back in a couple months, are you going to make the trip? Are you going to step up? She said, I'm stepping up. So now, over the last couple of days when we got back to the States, um, she kept pounding me with text messages like, hey, what's our plan? When are we going? Who can I invite? You know, and it gets kind of contagious when you're able to start helping people, you know, of that magnitude. And you I are mean, helping anybody, you know, even opening somebody's door or picking something up for somebody. It's just nice to do little things for folks to make their lives a little bit better because, you know, I've, I've had a pretty good run, um, and I want to keep, um, keep that attitude up of, of appreciating that and, and pushing it forward. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been a great experience not just seeing what we're doing down there, but also what you're seeing when you get out of the people that do it, you know, sitting back and watching her hang out with the kids in the orphanage. We didn't go over the orphanage all that much. On this last trip, because we spent a lot of time at the school, and then it, and then it uh, at grandmother's house as well. We we're only down there for about three days, so we didn't really have a whole lot of time to do much. But we stopped at the orphanage for a couple hours, showed them around, everything we've done, what we did, and just seeing my friends with these kids and with you know with with some of the um, teachers down there was was so gratifying, and also to see them really you know the light the light bulb goes off whoa you know i can help down here and make a make a big impact i'm gonna, i want to keep doing this so it's been neat to see on all kinds of different levels of um the emotions that run through you uh, when you when you do some you know when you do things like this
0: man that's that's great to hear that's that's awesome again folks who are listening or watching you can you can follow all this stuff that, that sukup is doing it's just hashtag game day build and then safe t the letter t home.com that's uh, additional information and so that's we have what two weeks out, two and a half weeks out, Tim. That you, everybody will be doing the this, the build there, uh, Kinnick. Where around Kinnick? We got a lot of listeners in Iowa City. Um, do you know where it's going to be stationed?
1: Yeah, it's going to be in the Krause the Plaza on the south side of the stadium. So just on Melrose, um, just outside the stadium. So where Kinnick now? Kinnick's bus is at. So pretty easy to kind of find us. I mean, it's kind of really the one of the really the only major ways to get into the. I wouldn't just not get into the stadium, but get to the stadium is off Melrose there. So, yeah, if folks want to show up. Well, I think we'll be kicking off around ten o'clock, and it's gonna be fun. I mean, folks can learn about how these things are built, what they can withstand, um, and the technology in them. I mean, they got this really cool heat heat shield on them because obviously in Haiti it's really hot. And we were going to bed, dude, at like eight, at night, ten o'clock at night. Even well, actually, a couple of nights we were up pretty late. Actually, we were up late every night because we got home late. So, you know, you're laying down to bed at 85 degrees. Man, that's... trying to get some sleep. You know, being attacked by mosquitoes and all these things, and um, it's so it's pretty hot down there. So the technology they have is this heat shield that goes on top of the uh, of the safety home, and it lowers the temperatures and those things by almost 20 degrees. Wow. So if you're thinking it's 90 some degrees out, 95 degrees out, and I can pop into a safety home, and it's 75 degrees out. Makes a big difference. Yeah, know, that's especially a big at show. nighttime when it drops down to eighty-five, those folks are sleeping in the in you know the high sixties to low seventies. So so it makes things comfortable, um, you know, for the user of that of that you know of that home.
0: I'm really yeah. For, I
1: mean, it, it's gonna be.
0: Yeah, that's great. Go that's ahead. no, no. I was just thinking that's. I think that'll be <laughs> that'll be a great experience. I just think for folks who attend a game because I hear you talk about this and the passion that you bring to it. And, you know, we've talked to Sage before, and it's the same thing. And so bringing that kind of perspective and that experience to – and obviously the credibility that you two have and then everybody else that's attending to Kinnick, to Iowa City, that's just going to be fantastic. I, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how everything plays out. Um, I got another question. Well, but we
1: only got a lot of participants. And, um, you know, obviously it's Iowa, Iowa State, big game. Both teams are probably 1-0. and Had a tight one last year in Ames. I'm sure Iowa State's looking forward to the upset. I don't think it's going to happen, but um, they can cheer hard there in Kenneth and, and we can build a great safety home.
0: That's awesome. Hey, I, I know um, you are clearly very educated about the things that you do, and I just wanted to ask you, because you know of what we do on this show, are you worried at all about some of these uh, policy rollbacks that are going to happen in term in, in relation to you know clean energy, uh, climate change, this kind of stuff, or is the is the is the momentum pushing forward so strongly across the globe that we need not worry?
1: Yeah, well, the only thing I you know with these policy measures that the United States is going to fall behind. That's the only. Problem. Okay. I mean, folks nowadays need to understand that renewable energy is here to stay. Um, the cost have dropped significantly because it's actually a market now. I mean everybody that was born in nineteen you know, nineteen seventies can or, or below can remember the growth of the cell phone, the growth of the computer and how those things used to be super expensive, not very efficient, and now you look thirty years later and you know, we're all talking to computers from our phones, we're banking, we're we're Facebooking. You know, we're timing, We're doing all these things on one device, which obviously, you know, is is incredible. And seeing that development of the computer chip and what it's really done um, for our lifestyles and and the world and and society and humanity. And solar, you know, solar and wind and and batteries are going to do the exact same thing. I mean, um, the the momentum is there. Uh, The world is all going solar and wind. There's not a lot of coal plants being built. So this administration that's up there now You know, they're they're still trying to hang on. You know, they're still trying to hang on to, you know, a a technology that's outdated, that's inefficient, that's really expensive, but people really don't understand these things because nobody knows anything about energy. Mm -hmm. I mean, Sam, what do you pay for a kilowatt hour? What's the cost of a kilowatt hour?
0: (laughs) You're asking the wrong guy. I don't even know.
1: See? What do you mean? You don't buy energy every day? You don't pay your electric bill? You're not the wrong guy. You're the right guy. Yeah. And you're a perfect example about every... I ask somebody that question they have no idea what I'm talking about so if you have no idea what the basis of how we buy and sell energy how can you sit down and talk with me about energy generation solar wind you know natural gas nuclear coal if you can't understand the basic cost of how we buy and sell energy then it's a pretty tough conversation to have when the knowledge base is not there And it's nothing against you it's just that energy has been so abundant and especially our lifestyle, you go back to the 1930s and 1940s, you ask people how energy was, and they'll probably tell you it was almost like Haiti. It was on and off, on and off, dangerous, didn't know anything about it. Well, then you get, you know, the industrialization happens in the 1950s and 60s and 70s, which we had incredible growth in the 60s 10% energy did in this country in the 60s and 70s and the late 50s. And how we industrialize and build colleges and factories and businesses and buildings and homes. And I mean, all these things that, you know, we're, you know, we're, we were, we're so accustomed to that we really don't think about because it's already there. I have to have it, I turn a light on, it works. But we don't know all the, you know, all the intricacies of how energy's mined, how it's shipped, how it's bought, what the pollution is. I mean, all these things come to these factors. So, um, but it's getting better. It's just like taking somebody, you know, back in the nineteen eighties, a normal person and talking about RAM and megabytes and gigabytes and all these other probably, you know, uh, terminologies I'm missing that we knew nothing about. But as the technology like computers and cell phones became more and more abundant and more and more used, people started to understand these things. And that's kind of what's happening in the energy industries is that people are starting to now say, all right, I'm going to learn about solar. I'm going to learn about wind. I want to see what my options are. I want to learn about the electric car. I want to learn about a battery. Um, And then that's when you start telling people, well, what's your voltage? Like how many voltages do we have in the industry, Sam? Do you know that? you know what your voltage is into
0: your house? (laughs) I was not good at physics, buddy. That was not (laughs) my jam.
1: So every house is 240 volts. you got 120 volts to come out of your outlet. Right? So your house is broken up into two circuits. 120 volts and 120 volts equals 240 volts. So that's what comes into your house, and then it's split up because voltage is how we push energy, and the amount of energy is the amperage. So we've got to go back and actually learn some of the basics of energy before we can even start talking about what people are talking about on a high level that they know nothing about. Like I don't go on to a tall consign- or a you know razor and talk about you know his and industry because i know nothing about it you know and i like to learn about it and i've learned a lot about it lately in iowa because we do a lot of you know a lot of solar for a lot of our farmers out there it's pretty cool how the iowa farmer is kind of leading the way in solar power oh really um oh yeah oh yeah we've got a lot of farmers in iowa going solar wow. because it's a great investment I and mean, we're looking under five-year paybacks on these guys they're saving a ton of money you know for iowa towns with solar here in the future you Sage and I, years and years ago, because he's kind of invested in this company that um, that I invest into, uh, we had you had this big, at my house in California, just outside my garage, I had this small little room, and that was my office. And on one of the walls, I had this big map of Iowa. And I had solar panels, you know, like, you know, hopefully we can manufacture some. Because we have, you know, Minnesota is closed, and the Midwest is right in the middle of everything, so it's easy to ship things in and out of our and it's so centrally located that, you know, shipping costs do obviously come into account when you're shipping product across the country, you know, and that's one reason why not just we can grow a lot of corn and soybeans and things, but we can get our product out, you know, because we're so set. You know, I had this map and I was like, all right, we're going to hopefully build a solar manufacturing plant, but there's going to be solar states all over the state of Iowa because Iowa is 16th. In the country in sun irradiation, hmm. so we have the 16th most sun in the country. Um, we have a lot of land, and we had got good transmission. So those are some of the things because of our wind. Our wind industry is, has done that because we ship a lot of our we ship all of our wind out, um, and that's what helps keep our energy rates low. Is because we sell that wind at a higher price to other markets that need to either buy the renewable energy or they have more expensive costs than they would buying from the wind. So A and I sat and we wrote out this big Iowa plan for solar and it's starting to starting to show up, it's starting to become true and it's exciting. I mean because you know the sun shines everywhere. the technology is you know the first solar cell was built in 1830s man 1830s. Mm-hmm. The first wow. solar modules built in 1950s because we started going off the planet. You can't run an extension cord all the way up to space, let alone there's no oxygen in space, so combustion engines don't work. So the first satellites have solar cells all over. them, And so that technology works in space, so you figure it's going to work on the planet, which it does easily, and it's getting cheaper and cheaper like computers because solar panels are semiconductors, and if you look at computers, computers are semiconductors. So it kind of follows the same Moore's law of once you scale technologies like that, you get huge amounts of price drops. And that's what we're seeing now in solar, and that, as well as wind, is that it's a global economy now in this industry. It's global, and everybody's moving it. So there's more solar panels to be sold. There's more sand to buy. There's more glass to buy. There's more aluminum to buy, which are very, very low-cost commodities. So when you buy these things at bigger and bigger amounts, the prices go down and down and down. And so that's what we're finally seeing uh, you know, in, in renewables is that it's, 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 meeting a scale of adoption and the prices are just keep going down and down. Now we, obviously we've got tariffs with this administration. Um, but the part of that problem is, is that we were, we're behind. I mean, you go over to China and they've got all kinds of manufacturing plants, of solar panels, solar modules in America, we've got like three. So if I've got, you know, I think at one time China had 1500 solar manufacturers. Now they've got about 15, because obviously in any industry, if you look at the chip industry back in the 80s, I'm sure there were a ton of guys coming out trying to make chips. Well, who are the chip makers nowadays? There's only like three of them in the whole world.
0: Yeah.
1: So we're kind of seeing the same type of thing. Um, you know, look at refrigerators. How many refrigerators are in the world? There's about 1,500 different refrigerators. There's about 10 different types of refrigerator manufacturers you can choose from. So we're starting to see some consolidation in this industry, which is good because it gives those companies more footing and sure ground as well as less competitors. But... It gives them more opportunity to sell more of the product. So it's, it's we're hitting solar at a really, really good time—not just um, you know for the environment, but also you know for cost and for Iowa. Because back in the day, solar panels—they're not selling thousands and thousands of them. So we're starting to see the costs really come down. They're becoming a lot more efficient. And it's like any in industry, the more money that's in the industry, the more money it brings in the industry, the more innovation happens, the smarter kids come in and That's what I was telling you earlier is that our future is in our colleges and our high schools, you know on everything right and These are the kids that are going to be running the world over the next ten, fifteen, twenty years, and that's where we need to be investing, and that's where we need to be focused on 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 all on all accounts on all industries is, is our kids so um it's been pretty exciting to watch you know. The industry in Iowa really take off and we have a big tax credit that was twelve that helps out with the cost. And you know and everybody talks about tax credits, but nobody knows or realizes that all these other energy companies they get tax credits too. So it's not like it's an uneven playing field. I mean it still kinda of is uneven on our account because, you know, they're monopolized markets and you know, by law when you build a house or build a building, you have to connect to that utility that's in that territory. You have no other option. I mean, imagine going to Hy-Vee and looking at all the cereals and only had, you know, well, how expensive is tricks going to be if they're all tricks? Well, be expensive it wants to be because that's the only option you got. Yeah. Well, nowadays solar's starting to become effective as well as financeable, bankable, and um, and usable. That it's starting to become a competitor now. I mean, there's so many good things. I mean, we are we are revamping the backbone of our economy, which is energy. And it's a big deal. And There's a big deal when we went from the landline telephone to the cell phone. Mm-hmm. I can remember when I was ten years old, 1985, when I saw those big bag phones, and those were thousands and thousands of dollars, and all you could do was call somebody. Now you can buy a, you know, a hundred, a couple hundred dollar phone, or if you buy an iPhone, it's five hundred bucks or whatever. You can do all these other things because the industry exploded. You know, they they stopped the monopolies in the late '70s. They broke up the baby bells, and they said, all right, we're gonna have a free market. And if that would happen in energy, this energy revolution would explode. And you see all these new developments. You see a ton of money rushing in, even more so now. Lots of jobs to, to create in this industry. I mean, when you rebuild kind of like a backbone of, you know, the U.S. economy of energy, I mean, it's a big job. And we're talking about rebuilding, you know, transmission lines to distribution lines to putting all these solar modules in. Um you know, to revamping everything, more communication, more, more, uh, data gathering. I mean, that's the one thing in the industry is that it's so archaic that they don't really gather a whole lot of data on what's going on within our grid structure and everything's looked at a 30,000 foot view. And so there's a lot of, there's so many inefficiencies in this industry. When I first got into energy, I'm like, you mean the combustion engines, only 25% efficient. That means 75% of the gasoline that I'm buying is wasted in my environment. That's a problem. Yeah. You're telling me the coal plant's only 30% efficient and the and the electric grid's 50% efficient? So 80% of my coal that I'm actually buying is wasted in my environment? I mean, so when we start to understand these, these metrics, it really starts to make sense on on where we're really starting to go now and how we need to change, you know, a lot of this industry and more be more efficient. But the problem is the utilities don't make money being efficient because they sell kilowatt hours. Yeah. I told you 10 apples. We only need three apples. And I just bought this apple maker that makes 10 apples. Well, now I'm only selling you three apples tomorrow. I've got a problem. And that's kind of the, the problem we're running into. And that's kind of the big problem is that we need to put a lot more money into our grid structure and revamp and modernize that, as well as we need to figure out a way how these utilities that have been there for from the beginning, either help them make the transition so they don't go out of business. Or, you know, some of them are going to go out of business and they're going to get eaten up by other utilities. And that's kind of what's going to be happening here over the next 15 to 20 years in the energy industry. Is there's going to be a lot of changeover, a lot of uh, different dynamics moving into this, this place where it's going to create some create some heartache for, you know, some people and for other people and things. But it needs to happen. I mean, it needs to happen over the last 30 years. Um, but we get back to the Sam, what do you pay for your kilowatt hour? Right? Yeah. So on a mass scale it's hard for people to kind of see these things because they're not in it every day. They don't understand all these these challenges, these inefficiencies, you know, the way the grid fills and all these things that provides power to your light bulb or your computer, people don't really know anything about. I yeah. mean, I ask people with high transmission lines on, they look at me crazy. I'm like, those are the things you drive by on the highway. You know? Yeah. You know what a substation is? Uh, well those are the things that look like those erector sets that are fenced in where the power lines go into that's called a sub Oh, okay. Okay. So it's like, you know, this this educational process that, that's happening, it just needs to happen a little faster and people need to get more, more involved in it because investing in solar, I mean, we've got, we've got, you know, in certain markets in Iowa, we've got people that are investing in solar that are making 20 to 30% on their money. You tell me in the economy, I and mean, I looked at, you know, ever before this, this quarter, this third quarter, the last quarter I made 3% on my money over this, over this last eight months. Yeah. You know, we're talking about how the economy is so great right now. I'm making 3%. When I looked at my 401k in the NFL, I was making, I made 3% over the first two quarters. And I can invest in solar and make 20%, 10%, 25%. And that's the investment today in solar. is not, not always, it's not just the feel good that I'm going solar and I'm, you know, making my air cleaner and water cleaner and I'm modernizing the grid and I'm securing the grid. It's actually I'm making money on it. I'm making a better return on my money than I am in a lot of investments that I'm doing. It's, you know, it's traditional investments like stocks or bonds. And that's where, you know, that's something you can kind of control. You know, the sun's going to come up every day. These systems work every day. And uh, it's a great investment. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of great factors that are starting to really come together in this this uh, kind of revolution and modernization of our, our energy paradigm. And it's great to see because I've been so educated over the last, eight to ten years. I mean I've had I do policy at the state level, so I gotta know what I'm talking about when we write these policies and we you know we battle the utilities against net metering and the value of solar and what it does to the grid because we're seeing these other markets across the country and across the world are a lot further along than us. And we're starting to see the impacts on what solar and renewables do to the grid and it's so positive. And so we've got to educate people on that as well as you know, tell these other people that hey, this is the way. It, this is this is real. This is real data. This is real stuff
0: that's happening. Well, it's pretty clear that you've you've studied up and you know exactly what you're talking about. I'm very. It's very impressive, and I think, um, you know, what you're doing as as a, as somebody with your uh, popularity to kind of spread this is extremely important because that to me that's really the only way that we can begin to counter these less. Um, I don't want to say progressive in the political sense, but but surely, you know, less forward-thinking approaches to energy because, I mean, the same same stuff is happening out here in Colorado. We're, we're fortunate to have a good amount of, of wind and solar energy just because of where we are positioned, but you Not get outside of Denver, outfit. yeah, for sure, but you get outside of Denver and, you know, there's a lot of pushback. There's, there's certainly a lot of pushback. So um, Well, yeah. you've
1: got a lot of old utilities. I mean, you got to understand, like, it's in, it's interesting, like, you know, I'm a big data person. I like facts. You know, that's the one thing about, I think when people hear me talk is they know I'm not really bring them back generation, with wind and with solar and it gets them back away from having to have one supplier i mean sometimes these these communities lock into 25 to 50 year contracts with these companies because the coal plant has a 50 year lifespan to it so if i'm going to build that well then i want a customer that's got 50 years on it right and these are some of the problems with our renewal our rural electric cooperatives is that some of them want to break away and want to go solar but they're stuck under these contracts they're stuck under this, you know, this over-facing utility board that kind of, it doesn't really tell them what to do because the RECs can kind of do what they want to do. But when they don't have power and they have a power supplier, they're going to do everything they can to be with that power supplier. It's like one of our, we have this state association group called Iowa Solar Energy Trade Association. I'm the president of it. One of our board members is a guy that runs a small 600-person, 600 600-member 600 utility in the state of Iowa, in Kelowna, Iowa. And he's got the most solar per capita in the country. He had the second community solar garden, he's got a huge like nine hundred KW system, he's got a megawatt system, and those are those are five acre systems. First power purchase agreement in the state of Iowa. I mean, this is a forward thinking guy because he understands that this is where the industry's going as well as the benefits of that small six hundred member community making their own power instead of having to buy it from outside. Yeah. So that's what we're kind of trying to do so when you look at when you get into colorado and you get outside of denver which is excel energy you start to run into the rural rural electric cooperatives and what they've done is they've, they've set up a system called self metering. Mm-hmm. so during the sunny times you're pushing energy out to the grid and they're buying that back at wholesale rates. where if you have a net median agreement you set up a system where you offset either 100 percent or You know, like in the territory right now, we can only offset 75% by law. Even though the energy goes out to the grid, they're buying it at the retail rate. And then they're turning around and just selling to the next-door neighbor, you know, right along there. So it doesn't really cost them a whole lot of money. Um, It actually saves them money in transmission, efficiencies. I mean, all these things that, you know, cost when you send power from, you know, a generation plant miles and miles away all the way into the grid compared to, Right off someone's rooftop, right next to some, right, right next to somebody next door. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can imagine the cost efficiencies in that. So a lot of the RECs have gone to self-metering, which means when you so when you build a power plant or build a solar plant for somebody in those territories, you have to build the size of what the house or the building needs at that time. So say your house pulls a thousand watts. Well, I can only build a thousand watt solar system, which is like four panels right now. Right? Well, that, that, that thousand watts is only going to offset 1,300 kilowatt hours. Or in Denver, if you're in Colorado, you do more like 1,500 to 1,600 kilowatt hours per kilowatt. You're only going to offset 1,600 kilowatt hours, but meanwhile, you're buying 15,000 kilowatt hours from, from utility. So your offset's only like 10%. So it's like, well, what's the point? Why even do the project? So the RECs have kind of wiggled themselves into writing their own. Uh, interconnection agreements, where if you're feeding out to the grid, they buy that at the wholesale cost at two or three cents, and they turn around next door and they sell it to your your neighbor for thirteen cents, and it's really not fair, because the grid energy within that side of that grid, and when you produce it, and when you how you ship it, and how you get it there, and how efficient it is, it's way worth more than two and a half cents. I mean, and we're starting to see that. That's called the value of solar tariff, where you start to add up all these values that solar does to the grid security, reliability, it's renewable, you know, it's low cost, it's O&M's low cost. I mean, I've got, I don't know how many systems in the field now over the last, you know, five or six years, and I talked to my customers, and I said, what have you guys done? Have you cleaned your solar panels yet at all? And they're like, nope. Was it still producing the same as it? Yep, still producing the same as they did last year. Wow. So you've done no maintenance at all. Like, I know you're hot confining, you got to get in there every day, and you've got to check pumps and, Make sure everything's up and running and the hogs are okay. And But your solar system, you haven't touched it at all. Nope, haven't touched it. Wow. And so that's a cost that the rate payer won't have to pay. Yeah. Solar systems are very low maintenance. you got to look at all these values that, that, that come into come into play when we're starting to talk about that. And obviously the utilities don't want to recognize that because, you know, they don't want to buy energy at, you know, their 11 cents or 12 cents or whatever it is. You know, they want to buy it as cheap as they can and sell as high as they can.
0: Well, the name of our
1: show—that's so kind of what you. That's why you see a lot of not. That's why you see, like in Iowa, we used to have a lot of solar going on in the RECs, and then they changed the self metering, and now that whole market is pretty much stopped, unless you have batteries. Okay. Um, and you can store that energy, which is there, and that's kind of the holy grail of renewables is storing that energy. But you know, we're going to need energy going into the grid. I mean, we don't want everybody buying the solar system and a battery and defecting. I mean, we need yeah. power pumped into the grid. Especially during the daytime, because those are our peak times. Those are our most expensive times, most dirtiest times to make energy is during the day, and that's when the sun is shining. Yeah. And That's when it's making the most low-cost energy. So it's you know it's an incredible asset that we're just starting to, to peel you know the top of the you know the banana off or the top of the iceberg because we're just getting into this and we're starting to see the huge benefits not just on job creation and you know and renewables as in clean power, but all the things is a very very important and, and
0: very impactful. Well, the name of our show is Sports Nerds and I think we earned it today. <laughs> I think we got it.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I've got to talk a lot cuz I got to get this information out to people so they can start connecting the dots.
0: Hey, I'm impressed. You know? That's great. I mean,
1: y- you got you got to you got to understand all these things. I mean, I tell you, the guy that's one of our board members has been a huge asset. I mean, he's basically he's a utility guy. And he basically you know, when I first got in this industry, it was like, um, ah, what was the movie? Uh, the Wizard of Oz. Remember at the end of The Wizard of Oz where Dorothy's standing in front of that huge wizard guy? Yep. Big, yep. huge monster wizard guy. And he's got all this stuff going and pumping. And the smoke's coming out and he's yelling. Well, then she goes, and then T- Toto or whatever goes around the corner and pulls back the curtain. Mm-hmm. And there's that little guy back there with all the little levers and things. Well, that's kind of what's happening in the utility industry. You see like these big, huge industry, but it's really only ran by, you know, people as well as, you know, a lot of the known things or unknown things or or a lot of things in energy aren't known yet. So we're starting to pull back the curtain to educate people and to get people more known about what's happening in energy, what energy is, what solar is, what natural gas is, how it's made. You know, nuclear, all these things. Because when I say the customer, I usually talk to them about a lot of these things and try to educate them beyond what their investment is. I'm like, you know, you're actually securing the grid. You're actually becoming part of national security when you put a solar system in. Because, like, right now today, if I was going to attack the United States, I'd attack the electrical grid. Because yeah. our electrical grid is so outdated, and you only have to hit about 10 spots in the whole grid to shut the whole country down. Because our grid, the way it's designed and the way it's been put together and how old it is and archaic is, it is, it'd be very easy to do that. Now, so obviously, you got to get past some fighters. And Rockets and missiles and all that stuff. But if you really wanted to take down the United States, you hit the electrical grid and people wouldn't have power for months. And then we're being attacked, and you can't charge your cell phone. But if you have solar power, now you got power within the grid. Yeah. For me we to shut down, say Iowa City, if I want to shut down power Iowa City, I'd probably hit two or three substations and the whole power of Iowa City would be gone. Except for the people who had solar on their house. If they had a battery and if they had a, a smart meter, a smart inverter, which then could switch over when the grid goes down, it could switch over and produce its own power. Because there's, there's certain things by law that we have to abide by. Like if the grid goes down, these inverters have to shut off. Well, some other countries that are ahead of us, like Germany, they have, they have inverters that are smart inverters that feel that, and then they'll actually kick back on to a different circuit, and they'll power a couple outlets, maybe your refrigerator, like critical loads. Mm-hmm. So they'll set these systems up, where they power these loads. So that's energy security. That's national security. So if, I, so if Iowa City had a ton of solar panels all over all the rooftops of all our homes and businesses, I wouldn't have to hit three substations. I'd have to hit a lot of those homes. Well, by that time, you know, half the population of the City is gone, and, you know, they pretty much have you know, taken over. But it gives us more security on our grid, and it makes it a lot more efficient. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, I try to explain a lot of these these extra benefits that people do when they, when they put solar, and it's true.
0: You're nailing it, man. Hey, I got to be respectful of your time, but I do have hey, you one. got it. I, gotta, I got one question for you before you leave because I just want to know, um, you more so than really anybody else would be extremely knowledgeable about this answer, what is it about the University of Iowa, Iowa City, that makes coaches like Hayden and Kirk want to stay? I mean, you played there. You're still very connected. I mean, we're unlike – any other institution you could argue in the country what what is it that people are so even former players i mean you see guys committed basketball players football players to that city to that university in your own words what is it that makes that that continues that connection for people
1: you know well you know i, you know, I think it all starts with hiring the right person you know, i think our, our administration our community does such a great job of of filtering through these applicants that want to coach and be at the university or play at the university, I think we do a phenomenal job of finding character, of understanding hard work, of understanding the stand-up person. You know, a person that wants to do right, that wants to do good, and those are things you saw in Hayden Fry. Those are things you saw in Dan Gable, Tom Davis. you have seen those things in obviously parents. So you know, hiring the right person to get on the bus is, is stage one. You know, and then and then two you know, the, the support that we have at the U of our fan base. Um, you know, I live in California and I got people while. Yeah. There's, I mean, name me a college that's had two football coaches in the last 40 years. <laughs> that's unheard of. I know. You know, and, epic you know? Mm-hmm. I mean finding and, and there's obviously some people on staff that have been around that organization for a long time that have maybe an opportunity. Um, but yeah we, we, we support our athletics, whether it's women's volleyball, the swimming, you know, obviously there's football. We have an incredible stadium. Um, we play in the Big Ten, which is another I think huge and we're and we're pretty dynamic in, in Iowa City. I mean, university is not just known for I mean, not just known for creative room. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have a law school, we've got a pharmacy school, we've got an um, engineering school, maybe not as big as Iowa State, but we have an engineering school. We have a hospital, or one of the second the second biggest research re- hospitals in the world, one of the greatest children's hospitals in the world, probably the greatest children's hospital in the world. Um, there's some other good ones, too. Boston's got a really good one. But, yeah, I mean, we, we try to do, I think, things top-notch in, in Iowa City and especially at the U. And that resonates with people, and it shows kind of the level of, um, of expectations that you know you want to bring. And everybody, you know, is a part of it. You know, we, we make everybody feel like they're a part of it. And I think that's why you see a lot of people are appreciative of, of being from Iowa, of going to the university there, and wanting to come back and, and give back and, and, and make the next generation better.
0: Do you still stay pretty think, connected? You know, those
1: are some of the things that, uh, that, that, that you see. Or, do, you, come back.
0: do you still stay pretty connected with folks at City High? Do you do stuff over there? I know you have your football camp. Do you run it at I do, City High? I do,
1: yeah, I do a little bit. I don't do my football camp up right there anymore because the, the 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 dynamics of camp on, on at, my, at my elementary school are a little bit more efficient. We can get on the grass field faster. We can do a lot more things. Okay. City High is kind of like a big place, so it takes too long for so the kids from – I go angry, not angry, but I'm like – why is it taking so long for these kids to get down to the field? Well, because it's a quarter, almost a, you know, quarter yeah. mile to the field. Tim It's like, "All right, well, in the southeast, it's two feet off the field, yeah, off the building." Yeah, um, but yeah, I do. I mean, I've, obviously, Dan Savers is the head football coach. Um, he was the assistant football coach when I was playing, and he's been there since the you know the mid to late '80s. When um, friends, Joe Wilcox is offensive coordinator, um, you know, John Raffensberger is gone now, but Mike Moore is the head track and field coach. And you know, I always give back. I'm always giving money back, which brings me back. And I'm, I'm going over there. Sometimes I go there and get some workouts in. Um, and I'm always paying attention to kind of what's going on. It's a great experience for me to go to Iowa City high school. We had great, you know, athletics. We had great academics. Music was really good. And yeah. it's a really good roundabout. Plus, a lot of my family was back there too, which brings me back. But um, yeah, it's a uh, pretty good, pretty good, pretty good place. Great high school to grow up, grow up in. And they got a big game this weekend on Friday. They play the new high school in North Libby called Liberty High, uh-huh. which everybody's high about. But we'll see what's, see what's going to happen on Friday. City didn't have a very good year last year, so they're kind of rebuilding a little bit. They got some work to do. But uh, tomorrow's the first uh, – Friday's the first step.
0: Well, Tim, thank you, sir, for joining the show today. Um I'll tell you what, I learned a hell of a lot. It's been a long time since I learned that much in, a, in an hour-long conversation. <laughs> I don't think I learned that much in grad school, so that was uh, that was great. Uh, um, next time you're out in Colorado, give me a shout, and I'll buy you a beer to say thank you. I appreciate it, Tim.
1: Absolutely. got a lot of friends that live in Denver, so I'm out there quite a bit.
0: Okay. So I well, got
1: some mobile. Um, I'll give you a shout. I might be out there in a month or
0: two. All right, buddy. Sounds good. You have a great day. Okay, good luck mowing the yard. Hey, you, yeah, you too. All right, see ya. Thank Tim.